0: Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML.
1: Earlier this day, uh, we were told and opened up a document that was called Andrea's Action Plan for a Thriving Hamilton. It is Andrea Horvath's platform for the mayoral campaign that everyone knows around here that she launched some time ago. Uh, This is we are now entering the... Meet of the mayoral campaign, and now we have a platform that we want to discuss with the candidate, with Andrew Horvath, who joins us now. Thank you for the time today. I really appreciate it.
2: My pleasure, Scott.
1: Uh, before we get into that, and I do want to get into some of the things there, I do want to ask you this. There have been rumors and reports and rumblings going back, I don't even know, years, that at some point along the way you were going to run for the mayor of Hamilton. <laughs> Is this something that you had given? thought to, even as you were leading the NDP, that this is something you might do? Or was it truly just when that was done, you put your mind to this? When did that really become a thing?
2: Well, you can't not think about these things as people encourage you to take it on. And so you're correct. It's something that people have been um, you know urging me to do for a very long time. But, but as you know, I had made an obligation, a commitment to the Ontario NDP to try to bring that party out of... Uh, you know, out of um, um, pretty much non-existence uh, into a, a more viable party, and uh, that took a lot of work and it took a lot of time. Uh, and I don't regret any minute, any moment of it. It was, uh, it was something that um, I'm very proud of. But, but you know, my heart has always been with the city. And, and many times, when when reporters uh, would ask me, you know, are you ever going to come back uh, as, and try to run as mayor? I would always say my heart's always with the city. That's where I get my passion from and uh, never say never. Uh, but, um, but I really wasn't able to really put my mind to, to whether I had the energy, uh, the excitement, you know, the passion until a little bit of healing happened after that last campaign.
1: Let us get in. This is, it's a, it's a, the document and people can find it at your website, Andrea four, number four, Andrea four, Hamilton.ca if they want to find it. And I would encourage people to read through it and take a look at it for sure. Uh, let's get into some of the big issues that are facing this city and you touch on many or most of them here. Uh, let's start with housing. Cause that, re- that may be the biggest one of them all here. Um, you say that one of the first things you would want to do as mayor would be to increase the housing supply. That makes a ton of sense, of course everybody who's going to be running is going to say something to the same effect. So what would you do that would be different that would help us to increase the housing supply?
2: Well, I think first and foremost, we need to acknowledge that the housing supply on all levels, like all the different kinds of housing uh, that, uh, that exists, it needs to be increased. And so whether that's the market, market housing, uh, whether that's uh, rental housing, whether that's uh, low rent housing for people who are, uh, having issues in terms of uh, or capacity issues in, in terms of affordability, all of those things need to be addressed, as well as housing for people with uh, with disabilities, supportive housing for people who need some support to be able to stay housed, uh, women leaving uh, violent uh, homes, for example. All of these things need to be addressed, and so when when I put together the platform, a, a number of things uh, you know really became clear. One is that uh, uh, that no matter what. And uh, no matter who I was talking to, private sector developers, public sector, or, or not-for-profit sector rather, uh, uh, housing providers, everybody's having a real hard time getting things done at the city. And that means that we can't reach the goal of building more housing if we can't get the approval process figured out. Uh, and so one of the things that I talk about is making sure uh, that we, we do address some of the problems that exist. I also uh, know that the city has opportunities to partner with Nonprofit or organizations, for example, and leverage uh, public land and or land that the city is uh, uh, has an interest in. Uh, I think that there are some really great ideas out there, and we've seen some actual projects in other cities uh, around the province where uh, where innovative types of financing uh, are put together to try to expedite the process. Uh, so there's there's a lot that can be done, uh, and as you mentioned, uh, uh, all of these things are outlined uh, in uh, in the platform.
1: Through the urban boundary discussion that was had here that I know you followed very closely, um, and other debates, quite frankly, in this city over the last number of years, there have been times that developers have been criticized and demonized, and yet when we're going to say we want to increase the supply, by definition, wouldn't we have to make the city even more friendly to developers to encourage them to come here and build more homes?
2: Oh, absolutely, Scott. And that's why I've, I've been having a lot of meetings uh, with, uh, with private sector developers. Why? Because a, a huge portion of the, uh, of the housing that we need is going to be provided through them. And so that's when I, when I say things like there are problems in the city that prevent them from getting their projects uh, up and running. Uh, those things need to be addressed, uh, and we need to be really, um, you know, really. I think focused on that. One of the things that's pretty ironic is that there are developers that are ready uh, to get the shovels in the ground and and put uh, these uh, housing units in place, uh, but they cannot get the approvals that they need. They can't get the permits done. Everything's taking far too long. In the meantime, uh, they start to it, what what that does is it, it starts to create more pressure. For the urban boundary expansion if we can't get the if we can't get the housing built within the current urban boundary uh the pressures they just building and building and building and that then spills over to um to a desire to then move into the greenfield sector in in terms of uh urban boundary expansion i don't want to see the urban boundary expansion expansion and i've been really clear about that uh but in order to realize that goal we gotta we've got to make sure that the uh the projects that can be done within that urban boundary are actually being facilitated
1: one of the things you say in your platform and again uh that that people can find i'm going to keep saying it andrea4hamilton.ca if they want to find it one of the things you say is one way you'll help to do this is you will quote leverage well-established relationships at queens park and in ottawa And I'm wondering, you're in a unique position because you spent so much time at Queen's Park. And very honestly, there was a lot of time over the last four years where you and the current government butted heads. Sometimes it got personal on both sides. And I'm wondering, do you have relationships at Queen's Park that would help? Or are you actually in a negative position because maybe some of the people there are not big fans of Andrea Horvath after the last four years?
2: Well, you know, I'm glad you raised it, because one of the things that's definitely the case is, yes, first of all, I do have a lot of great relationships, but we all have a job to do at Queen's Park. We all had a job to do, and we're uh, we're professionals in terms of the work that we do. So I know that uh, there were times when uh, I got under the Premier's skin, whether it's this current Premier, whether it was Premier Wynne, whether it was Premier McGinty, uh, as the opposition, uh, as an opposition leader, and then, of course, the official opposition in the last little while, that's, that's the job I have to do. Yes, sometimes it got a bit overheated, uh, but, at, but at the same time, I think Mr. Ford has really clearly sh- uh, indicated through his own comments uh, when, I was, um, when I made my announcement that I'm, I'm running for the position of mayor, uh, he knows I'm a fighter. He knew I was a fighter for Hamilton, and that, that was my job, and that my, my job was to be an effective opposition leader because that's how our democracy works. And so uh, not only Mr. Ford himself, or the premier, I guess I should more uh, respectfully uh, say, um, but but also other uh, MPPs and cabinet ministers in the Ford government are people that many people that I've I've known for years, uh, having been uh, you know serving with them at one point in the opposition benches, and so uh, and you know it's not only the elected people, it's also uh, the bureaucracy, it's the ministries, and uh, and who's kidding who? We have. You know, a couple of MPPs that are in the opposition benches. We now have two MPPs that are on the government side, and uh, and I think that's healthy for Hamilton. In fact, and I'm looking forward to working with all of them, um, and and others, frankly, other people in leadership positions to move the, uh, the you know the the positive initiatives that we can uh, we can see um, that would help our city grow uh, over the finish line.
1: I want to move into another big area in the city that is something that's been plaguing the city for a long time and vexing the city, really. Uh, that is infrastructure. We have, at last I heard, a $3.2 billion infrastructure deficit. Buildings, roads, bridges that have to be repaired, we don't have the money to do it. You have said in your report that you would like to get this tackled, you would like to move forward and get a lot of these things done. I think many people would absolutely agree with you and applaud that. The question is, how do we do that? Where does the money come to do that? Because that's always been the issue. We don't have the cash.
2: Well, that's a good point, Scott. And and, uh, certainly I, I, I want folks to know that Hamilton is not the only municipality in Ontario facing an infrastructure deficit and an inability to be able to make the investments necessary to, to tackle in a, in a, a responsible way. Uh, and so we are in the same boat with many, many municipalities. And so part of that uh, solution needs to be uh, encouraging other orders of government for, um, you know, to, to, to provide greater support for our 10 year capital plans uh, that will help us to, uh, to address it. But, you know, the, the other thing is, it, it, when we when we do build infrastructure, we need to make sure, or when we replace it, uh, that we're providing that infrastructure, or we're replacing that infra- infrastructure, uh, not only um, you know in the most cost effective way, uh, but also in the way that's most reliable. Uh, I've heard horror stories. I'm sure many uh, listeners will, can relate to this, where uh, roadworks are done or a park is built, uh, and the quality just isn't there. So it, it's not just a matter of um, you know taking the lowest bid and 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 slapping together something to get it done—it's uh, about making sure that that infrastructure is quality, uh, has longevity, uh, and we can be—we uh, can be, you know, confident that it's going to last uh, a proper life cycle. So all of these things need to be part of uh, the infrastructure solution. Uh, but but you're right—the uh, the capital piece is—it's uh, a juggernaut that um, that Hamilton is dealing with, as are, are as are many uh, other municipalities. And so it really is about prioritizing. Uh, and also trying to work with the other mayors, uh, particularly the big city mayors, to, um, to try to, to try to shake some more funding loose uh, from the other orders
1: of government. Would taxes have to rise to do this?
2: Well, you know, this is a really important question, especially now. We all know how unaffordable life is uh, for folks, and I think we just have to be very, very careful about increasing uh, any uh, uh, any tax burden. Uh, obviously, the estimates are quite high and there, there's like a sticker shock kind of uh, a price tag on, on what to, might happen in terms of the tax rate, but a responsible council with a responsible mayor uh, will will prioritize the projects uh, and will make sure that, that we're thinking clearly about the impact on people uh, because it's not just about money, it's about people.
1: And some people would say, you know what, that sounds a little different from the last number of years of Andrea Horvath as an NDP leader, that it sounds a little more uh, financially controlled, perhaps a lot of people. I mean, you know this, I'm not telling you anything that, that they said you, you, the NDP was a, a party that liked to spend more and was less fiscally controlled. Uh, is it a different perspective or are they misreading how you're how you're approaching this?
2: Uh, well, first and foremost, I think it uh, needs to be said that, in fact, the NDP has the best track record uh, across Canada All the t- every time that there's been an NDP government. They've been more fiscally responsible and had fewer def- deficits and smaller deficits than Liberals and Conservatives. So, yes, we get blamed, or uh, the NDP gets blamed uh, for being uh, fiscally irresponsible, but it doesn't bear out in terms of the facts. Having said that, uh, it's not about... Um, it's not about how uh, how um, much you spend, but it's how you spend it, right? If you're investing in ways that make a difference, if you're investing in infrastructure that brings more investment, for example, the LRT. If you're investing uh, in um, in changes at City Hall that uh, that that open up the processes so that we can get the housing built that'll bring more revenue uh, in terms of uh, uh, of uh, property taxes. If you're investing in economic development and uh, initiatives that bring more jobs, uh, uh, create more industry, more commercial, uh, then that also changes the mix in terms of what the residential taxpayer has to pay for uh, versus uh, uh, commercial industrial, which we know uh, isn't paying enough in, in terms of, I don't mean in terms of the actual businesses, but in terms of the uh, uh, the ratio of, of uh, how much tax dollars uh, are coming in uh, from industrial commercial it used to be a lot different because, of course, we had tons of industry and we had mm-hmm. all kinds of revenues coming from there. Nothing you don't know already, of course.
1: Uh, we got to keep moving here, just because I say we we, we have limited time. Want to make sure we get as many things as we can. A uh, transit, another very big issue in the city right now. It has been, I mean, we've been we've been talking about LRT uh, for I don't know how long. I, I, if I never hear LRT again in my life, as far as a debate, I'm I'm okay with that. But um, <laughs> we, we transit is a big big deal, and one of the things you have said here is you would like to expand Hamilton's transit routes and reach uh, to include convenient transportation between. Uh, all of Hamilton's communities right now there are a lot of places in the city that would say our transit is not very good would doing what you are proposing again not be extraordinarily expensive to add the buses to make that feasible
2: well you know what's expensive what's expensive is when uh, when I'm up um, in for example Flamborough talking to Chamber of Commerce uh, uh, members there telling me what they need is a bus because they need workers uh, and uh, entry level positions that some of these uh, smaller communities have in their uh, in their main streets and their small business communities. Uh, they, they can they can't get this they can't get the staff because the catchment area for labor is not there in these smaller communities, so they need to pull from further a uh, uh, field in our city. But people who are working or, or, or entering the workforce at, at those uh, levels of jobs that are at, at those wages that are a little bit lower can't afford a car. They can't afford a car. They can't afford insurance. They can't afford gas. And so it's a matter of recognizing again that those investments uh, will make a difference in terms of supporting uh, the um, you know the economic activity uh, in communities where where they where people are desperate, where, where businesses are desperate uh, for workers, and where workers you know want to go to actually work and gain experience
1: so would you be i don't want to put words in your mouth are you in favor then of getting rid of area rating so those in the suburbs and the outlying areas might pay more in their taxes than they have been right now uh, for better service are you a get rid of area rating person or are you not
2: Uh, well this actually is something that i think also is um, related to the earlier conversation we are having about Uh, What's happening financially for people these days? So there's two things. One is uh, I think that people are really in a, in a bad spot in terms of making ends meet and, and dealing with the inflationary pressures that we're all dealing with. So that's, I think, a factor that any responsible government would look at when it comes to uh, the area rating piece. But I think it's, I think it's a, a hand in glove issue. I think you can't ask people to pay for something that they're not receiving. So those things have to happen in tandem. We have to be providing the service so that people who are uh, are going to perhaps begin to pay a little bit more uh, see the value and are, are receiving the benefits of the service.
1: I mean, it's an interesting position that I haven't honestly heard a lot of people voice thus far, which is that one must follow the other. So if the area rating was to be gotten rid of, would it be your position as mayor that you would push to immediately improve transit to those areas that have now had to pay a little more in taxes?
2: I I would say it has to happen in tandem. So I would say I wouldn't even be looking at the area rating change until we have a guaranteed timeframe that is, uh, uh, you know, at the same time as in tandem with hand hand in glove with uh, the changing of the rates
1: It's um, for all of these things. I mean, when you look and I know your plan lays these out. Obviously, a plan has to do something in some kind of order. It can't all be side by side. It would be you couldn't read it. What do you look at as the issue or the most important issues in this election? I mean, we've talked about a couple of them. What do you put right at the very top and say, if I become mayor, this is number one on my target list?
2: you know really i do think it's housing scott i think uh, p- parents are worried that their kids uh, have to leave hamilton because they can't afford to live here uh, you know everyday families are worried that they're going to be able to uh, you know be able to continue to pay the mortgage because the interest rates are going up so high that uh, uh, that folks are are worried about that low income and moderate income families are having a hard time paying the rent i was I was at the Metro down on uh, Barton in Ottawa and ran into a, a couple who were uh, shopping uh, for their groceries. And, and they were, they stopped me right away and said, we don't know what we're going to do. Uh, we, we're having a hard time paying the rent. And, and we're afraid that within the next couple of week, uh, months, rather, we're not going to be able to make the rent. And then we'll be out on, our, uh, out on the doorstep and, and not have any housing. I really do think housing is, you know, really, what else can you, what can you do in life? if you don't have a stable roof over your head. Uh, so whether it's I mean, making sure families can afford rent, whether it's making sure young people can have a fighting chance at, at uh, living in the neighbourhood they grew up in, uh, whether it's making sure that we can provide the number of units that are necessary uh, to um, you know to, to meet the, the growing population. And, and let me just say this one last thing. It's not just a matter of units, though. It's not just a matter of units. It's a matter of making sure uh, that we're continuing to build strong communities. Uh, you can build all the units in the world, uh, but if you don't have a good community, uh, if you don't pay attention to uh, how people live in those neighborhoods, in those units, uh, then, um, then you've really not accomplished much. And, and as a city as old as ours uh, and as amazing as ours, uh, we deserve to leave that kind of a city for the next generation and the generation after that.
1: That is Andrea Horvath. Uh, her plan came out today one more time. It is at Andrea4, 4, number four, Andrea4Hamilton.ca. 4, you can read it there. Uh, and a reminder that uh, the 26th, so two weeks from today, Keenan Loomis, also running for mayor, will be joining us to talk about his plan. The week after that, October the 3rd, Bob Bertina will be here. We'll call it Mayoral Monday. That has a, a ring to it. Maybe we'll get a little ditty made up for it or something. Uh, Andrea, thank you so much for the time today. I really appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk about all this.
2: Absolutely. My pleasure, Scott.
1: You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Today, we have a guy whose name means ancient. That's what his first name means. And he is the youngest one running. So, you know, a little irony there. Keenan Loomis joins us today. Uh, Keenan, how are you? I'm doing well, Scott. I did not actually know that my first name mean, meant ancient. Is that right? Well, see, I yeah. learned something here. You learn something every day. <laughs> well, thank and you. We will learn, and we will learn something here from you, I hope, too. Because I want to get into, we have, we have, a couple segments but it's still limited time but i want to get into a bunch of the things that you are proposing um as you run for mayor and things you would do if you win as mayor because you know i i don't know how engaged people are in the election yet but i'm trusting they're going to be soon and they're going to want to know these things
0: yeah well they have definitely definitely uh been enhanced over the last little bit and uh it's you know we're, we're seeing so much energy and so much focus now into this so uh it's it's getting really exciting
1: The first sentence when you open up your platform online, and by the way, it's votelumis.ca. I'll mention that a few times so people can go look it up themselves, votelumis.ca. The first sentence says, it's time for change in Hamilton. What does that mean to you?
0: Well, what it means is that we can't continue to be doing the same things that we've been doing for the last couple of decades. Uh, You know, so as most of uh, the people listening will know that I, I've been running the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce for the last 10 years, been the voice of business here in the city and uh, we have come a long way as a community and it has been the contributions of, uh, you know, the chamber and businesses and individuals and not-for-profits and um, and the anchor institutions and, and so many others. But everything we have accomplished has been in spite of our leadership at City Hall. And so I, I uh, ask, like so many other people that I have uh, met along the way, you know, imagine how much more we could be if we had great leadership. Imagine how uh, we could tackle the challenges that we have, take advantage of the opportunities that we have as well. And so, um, you know, obviously, if you look at my competitors, they do not represent change in any way. They've all had their, their time. Um, they have been, in fact, uh, very actively part of the problems. And so, um, they do not represent change. And I am the only candidate here that, uh, that does.
1: Uh, you said that we've had these, these successes in spite of the leadership who, in your mind, who was the last good mayor of Hamilton?
0: Well, as you know, I've been here for, uh, for 13 years. So that's about, um, as far back as, uh, my understanding of, you know, the leadership in this community, but, uh, you know, I've, I've been able to meet, uh, mayor morrow uh mayor wade um certainly they were very decent gentlemen um mayor wade in in particular um and people who you you know were doing it for the right reasons um but uh you know since i've been here it's it's been a struggle i've I've been you know proud to work with uh mayor eisenberger on a, a number of things in particular lrt and uh covid recovery and all of that but you know you just see it how uh council has devolved Uh, Over the last four years in particular, and, you know, um, just the, I know that we can definitely have better leadership, um, but certainly, uh, you know, the the worst four years that I've been here in Hamilton was, uh, was when Bob Bertina was mayor, and we certainly can't afford to go back there.
1: When you talk about change and how you would bring different leadership, the mayor, while he or she is a figurehead, certainly, and is in a unique position, you still have just one vote on council. So is promising change something that you can promise or something that you would hope to do? Well, we're getting change no matter what this
0: year. We're going to have at least seven new faces. So in fact, we have an incredible opportunity um, to be able to ensure that going forward, we will not continue to make the same mistakes, that we will not continue to waste the time that we've been wasting on personal petty politics um on dealing with uh rogue counselors um that haven't ever been restrained and thus uh you know have gone completely off the rails. Um and so you know we we have an incredible opportunity we're going to get change and of course it really really matters who's going to be in the mayor's office um at that point in time and who's going to be able to bring everybody together um and uh and create the new tone uh, that we need to to have, to be productive going forward. And, you know, I've been able to demonstrate that uh, over the last 10 years. Um, you know, I, I wasn't just the, the voice of business. It was bringing, you know, certainly the private sector to the table, but uh, the not-for-profits uh, and uh, the anchor institutions and uh, so many uh, incredible individuals who have contributed so much uh, to this community. That's my leadership style. So I will work to, to build, um, you know, bridges uh, at council and we will uh, be collaborative in uh, how we do the the people's business going
1: forward. Speaking of change, and that is one of the big themes of your campaign, for sure. Um, in your platform as well, again, votelumis.ca for people who want to look this up. You say, and this is a quote, I want to develop a pledge for all council members to sign as a commitment to behaving professionally, respectfully, and collaboratively and representing residents' interests over their agenda. I want to go to that last point for a second. How would you discern what are the residents' interests and what is the councillor's agenda? How do you dis- distinguish between those two things?
0: Well, so one of the things that we have had um, is, you know, and this is a, a little bit of a vestige of um, of the, the amalgamation era, but, you know, we've had people uh, in council who said, hey, I, you know, I'm the mayor of Glenbrook, I'm the mayor of Ancaster, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, that obviously doesn't serve... Um, the the corporation that is the city of Hamilton uh, very well. It's one thing to provide the perspectives of your citizens at council, um, and that's very, very valuable. And that's absolutely uh, necessary as we make decisions going forward. But, you know, we have had uh, essentially, um, you know, the the type of atmosphere in, in, in City Hall where we have all these little fiefdoms. And, you know, what people have to appreciate and understand, especially, you know, the newcomers um, that will be sitting around that table come November 15th, is that there are times where, you know, you, you have to wear your ward hat, but there are more times when you have to wear your board hat, when you have to understand that you're the director of the corporation of the city of Hamilton, and you have to be making decisions that are in the best interest of the city at large.
1: And you know what? I think there's a lot of people listening who are nodding their heads vigorously when you say that. It's just putting it into a, applying it becomes more difficult. I'll use an example. Um, we have had an ongoing discussion. You're very aware of this about say, and I'm just choosing one, about encampments. Yeah. If we were to find that most people in the city disagreed with allowing encampments, should a, should a councillor who agrees with letting those stand or doesn't agree with taking them down, should they put their own feelings aside and acquiesce? How would it work? Well, so when it comes
0: to encampments, um, I don't I don't know any person out there who is pro encampments. The only issue here is is whether is 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 what we do about it. And if we break up an encampment, basically we're just moving the problem somewhere else, and the, uh, another encampment will will coalesce. And now we don't have the ability to to. to track uh, these people that, you know, we've been providing services to and trying to help get out of encampments. So, you know, I I think when it comes to um, we have to really look at what the the right policy solutions are for uh, these particular uh, really thorny issues. Um, And, you know, and and that's where I certainly want to make sure that going forward, we're being respectful in our conversations. Where we're understanding people when they say, you know, and as I have, that breaking up in encampments is is cruel and counterproductive. It it is, and we we have to make space for people who uh, are saying that, while understanding as well that folks that are living near encampments, um, it it's hard. It 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 makes them uncomfortable. It makes it difficult to to raise a family, and and we have to be able to understand all sides. But really, the focus needs to be in how do we eliminate encampments entirely so that the folks that are right now um, living rough on our streets and in our parks are able to find uh, a, a warm bed um, that allows them to live with dignity and allows them to be treated um, for, you know, the, the various uh, either mental health or addictions and or, um, you know, type of things. Uh, problems that they're going through um, and address uh, affordability at the same time by creating more housing stock. So we haven't really gotten beyond, uh, you know, this whole, uh, this binary choice of encampments or no encampments to have that discussion
1: that I just talked about and how we we end encampments uh, entirely. Talking about a number of things in the platform. Obviously, we don't have time to get to everything. Go look up his platform. I keep saying it. uh, You really should. votelumis.ca. Uh, give it a read it's it, it is worth your time. Uh Keenan thanks for sticking around really appreciate this. Um you have vowed to oversee the building of 50,000 new housing units over the next decade or at least to get that rolling That's over right. the next 10 years. That's about double what we've been seeing on average year after year in the city. Is it feasible is it realistic to say that we could double our output of housing units? It's not just realistic but it's necessary. We know that the supply of
0: housing is one of the biggest drivers of unaffordability in our community. We also know that the province is requiring us, this is the whole you know uh, urban boundary versus you know uh, debate. the province is requiring us to plan for accommodating a uh, 100,000 new households in Hamilton over the next 25, uh, 25 years. So we have to do this. And, you know, the, the way to do that is to, is to lower the barriers, reduce the red tape in City Hall where, you know, the, the stories of, of, you know, projects that are, have been languishing for years are legion. Um, and, you know, there's, there's definitely things that we can be doing to address that. In fact, you know, if the province is saying, look, if, if you as a municipality don't act, uh, quickly to approve these, uh, developments, you're going to have to refund the development charges. Well, that, there's, a, there's an opportunity and there's a, a, a need right there to invest in, in extra staff um, so that we don't uh, end up refunding those development charges. So it's, it's, a, it's something that's definitely doable. Um, it, you know, and, and it's a whole bunch of different types of housing. It's not just, you know, the the few remaining greenfield developments that we have within the urban boundary. Um, it's not just about intensification along the transit corridors as well. But it's also supporting the affordable homes providers. The, the Hamilton is Homes Group that have about 3,000 units that are all ready to go. Um, and they just need the city to get out of the way. So we're going to clear that red tape. It's going to be a major focus of ours because we just have to. People are demanding it. And, you know, I talk to people across the city and and they're most concerned about, like I am, where are their kids going to live, you know, when they grow up and, and get out of the house? And, and then ultimately we get into where are they going to work and, you know, what type of city are they going to uh, be growing up in? But um, this is absolutely necessary for us to bring down the cost of ho- housing because affordability is the number one issue here in Hamilton.
1: One of the other issues, uh, not one of the other, another issue that has come up in discussion, and I'm shocked that this one has become a real issue because it's about the least sexy thing I think we can talk about in the city, but it's area rating. It's become one of these things that people are talking about uh, miraculously. Are you for or against getting rid of area rating? We need to
0: phase out area rating over time. This is one of those things that previous councils have not dealt with. They have, they keep kicking the can down the road. And and in fact, it it starts in in 2000, you know, right after amalgamation and they did not make the hard decisions. Then the decisions that were absolutely necessary then and council after council after council has failed to, to grapple with this issue. And it is a complex issue. It's taken me a, a long time to really truly understand it. But basically what we are doing is building and, and growing as a city along the edges. Uh, so think about Winona, think about Binbrook, think about Waterdown. Uh, think about even Ancaster. Um, and then think about the transit service or the lack of transit service that those communities get. And so they are not getting the transit service because they're not being asked to pay for it. And I understand that people don't want their taxes to go up um, without a plan. And so what we need to do is not eliminate area rating, uh, you know, in, uh, in one fell swoop. Um, that is not fair. Uh, what we need to do is we need to plan, uh, for transit in Winona and Binbrook and Waterdown and all the other outlying communities that are, you know, the larger population centers. I'm not talking about, you know, the Carlisle's and Orkney and, and whatever, but those, those areas that, you know, because they're, they're growing and, and they're, they're now thriving suburbs, they require transit. It's for, you know, the the businesses in those communities. It's for the, the the children in those communities, the seniors in those communities as well. And the expectation is that a great city has great transit. And so what we need to do is we need to build we need to create a plan to the folks in Winona, to the folks in Benbrook and say this is what we are going to be asking you to invest in. And people will will invest in that because as I said, they're clamoring for transit right now, They but they want to see a plan before they're asked to pay for it.
1: One of the things, though, that seems to be confusing about this discussion right now is there seems to be some suggestion that, okay, so if we make the people in the suburbs get rid of area rating and pay more for transit, those who have been paying more for transit will see a reduction in their taxes. That to me would mean net zero. How do you then add to the transit system? Are exactly. you saying... So are you saying the people who are paying more would keep where they are right now, others yes. would then go up to meet them? Yes. Okay, all right. So it's not a drop in taxes to some people, it's 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 balancing it out.
0: No, a, a drop in taxes to some people would not solve the the issue of, of underfunding, of the underfunding that we have um, been engaged in, in in transit.
1: Fair enough. That makes much more sense than some of the explanations that we've been getting, that some are right. going to save money out of this, because then how do you get anywhere if... We're actually cutting money out and then adding other money. It doesn't make sense. All right. Yeah. Infrastructure. You have said you'd like to prioritize Hamilton's infrastructure, and you said you'd like to do it in discussions with provincial uh, provincial and federal partners. Mm-hmm. Now, we know the province has said it's already going to come through with $3 point something billion for the LRT. Mm-hmm. This is not an election about LRT, by the way. I'm not getting into that. But mm-hmm. um, I think that maybe the cost of the LRT has gone up in recent days. We don't know. But what if what if the province, what if the feds come back and say, you know, we're giving you enough already. We've got every other city with their hand out. We don't have more for infrastructure for you. How then do we as Hamiltonians deal with our infrastructure problems? Well, we had to demonstrate
0: to the higher levels of government that Hamilton is a uh, a city with, with special needs because we are, uh, you know, we, we do have some pretty aged infrastructure. We have been... You know, the, the economic backbone of this country and this province, um, in previous eras. And it's time for us to get back to, to doing that. And with that, we need some, some very targeted and, and specific and, and smart investments, the type of investments that are going to unlock, um, greater investment into our community. So, you know, the, the 1.7 billion that each of the, the province and the federal, and the federal government are going to be contributing to the LRT is a good start and it's a big chunk of change but you know we need to continue going forward we we need to start to plan for uh the a-line for example um as we're building b-line so that we're ready to go forward with that transit project and that transit project is going to serve the mountain and it's going to it's going to connect the lower city and the upper city, and it's going to serve the airport, airport employment growth district and the airport um, and the, the harbor front lands that we're developing on right now. That's a smart investment, the type of investment that's going to yield um, you know, greater development in this community and continue on uh, in that vein. We have laid out all of those investments that we're going to need um, from upper tiers of government, so it shouldn't be a surprise that we're going
1: to be asking them
0: for, for more money going forward.
1: You just mentioned the harbour lands. Now, I'm not sure that you've got anything specific in your platform. Then again, this is something relatively new. It came up at the General Issues Committee just last Wednesday, I believe. So this is something that the new council is going to be facing. What to do with all those former industrial lands down by the water. Incredibly, potentially incredibly valuable, potentially incredibly city changing. Probably way too difficult a question to get you to answer in the next minute or so. But what is the vision for that from your perspective?
0: Well so it depends on what part of the the harbor front you're talking about. The industrial bayfront when when it comes to Stelco, when it comes to any of the uh, the other lands, um you know, under the the uh the ownership of the Hamilton Port Authority, you know, those those are ripe for development, ripe for jobs, right for transformation um into, you know, a clean uh, industrial uh, you know, economy going forward. When it comes to the uh the Pier Eight lands, um, you know, we have a, a mixed-use community that's going down there. There will be thousands of new residents uh, going down there um, as well. And so uh, the, the plan there or the, the big, the, the, the big uh, issue there is whether we go forward with a, a, a large tower um, or whether, you know, that's a, a little out of scale. And, and that's something that I'm hearing from the north end neighbors um, I get their, their uh, you know, their concerns, and, and that's something that we definitely need to grapple with uh, as a new council because we need to get forward, going forward with that plan. You know, that that is an incredible area uh, for growth. Um, we put already a lot of investment in it, shoring up uh, the, uh, the 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 peer side. Um, So it's time to, to start building, and you know, I, I just fear that that's going to be another one of those areas of another one of those projects in hamilton that, that languages languishes for for
1: decades and we are over time so i hate to do this but um yeah. you've said a couple times now you've talked about development you've talked about developers sometimes around here in the city those two words are treated as bad words that we don't like developers so much some people we don't like development do can, can we afford to treat those as bad words or do we have to come around and say no we need to encourage those things
0: we have to encourage those things. There, you know, there's no other way of being able to to build 50,000 homes in Hamilton over the next 10 years. There's no other way to be that city of 800,000 people by 2050 that the province is forcing us to plan for without developers. I have, I will, you know, um, defend uh, people who have profit motives. It's, you know, it's definitely important, but it does. It also um, is not necessarily about profit. Um, when you have incredible not-for-profit developers uh, developing affordable units in this community, 3,000, again, that are planned right now, and, and they need to be supported as well. So basically, I'm supportive of anybody who's willing to do something uh, in this city because that's what we need to be focused on is is getting stuff done to, again, uh, meet our challenges and take advantage of the incredible opportunities that we have in this great city.
1: That is Keenan Loomis. He is running for mayor. You can read his full platform on voteloomis.ca. It is all there. We could only get to a, a sliver of it today, but uh, Keenan, really appreciate you taking a few minutes today. Thank you for this.
0: Thank you, Scott. It is an extensive platform, but what I'm the things I'm most proud of is that we actually have a platform, and we forced our competitors to have a platform. We've there's been far too many uh, elections uh, in the last few cycles where there has been no platform, nobody's running on issues, but the people of Hamilton deserve to know what the plans are for the people who are trying to, to run for leadership in this community. So I'm proud of that. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML.
1: Today, uh, a man who um, I think most people know the name and the voice. He's uh, he's a musician. He's a runner, a marathoner. He's a former radio host. He's an MP. He's a, been an MP. He's been a mayor. And now he's trying to be mayor. Oh, He's a counselor as well. And now trying to be mayor again. Bob Bertina. Bob, how are you today?
3: I'm fine, Scott. Thanks for having me on.
1: I oh, listen. I really appreciate you doing this. Um, we have got a lot of things I want to get to because uh, all these these interviews, the time is way too short to get through them all. So uh, we do what we can. During your uh, videotaped submission the other day, you you were not able to make it to the televised uh, Mayoral yeah, debate because you came down mm. with COVID. So you you gave a if people watched it, you gave a videotaped uh, submission. One of the lines you said was. The truth is, this city that we love so much is broken. Bob, what, what do you see as broken within the city of Hamilton? Well,
3: it, what the evidence of the break is a couple of things uh, come right to mind, and you know what I'm talking about. The sewage spill, four years. Where's the accountability? $26 million in counting to find out who was telling not telling the truth about the slippery pavement on the Red Hill. Uh, and I could go on and on, but uh, those uh, two simple things combined to tell you that thing is not, things are not right uh, within the management, the administration of the city. And that, that's not council. That's from the city manager's perspective, all of the people that, uh, in her case, Jeanette Smith's case, that she's involved with. So that's something, of course, that uh, tried to be resolved in the year 2000 when uh, you may recall a man by the name of Doug Leichak was uh, the city manager, and council rose up against him because he was trying to fix things. And eventually he got uh, a very nice payment, uh, and council got what they wanted. And uh, really, council shouldn't be interfering on that side of, uh, of the ledger. But what I would say is I would be supporting the city manager, unlike I, I don't think the mayor did at the time, uh, to do what he or she needs to do to make sure that we have an efficient and effective administration.
1: Based on what you're describing, though, when you talk about the asphalt or you talk about the sewage, and again, those were not necessarily council things. Those were staff mm-hmm. things. That's right. That's would what you, talking about? Would you be then, uh, am I reading that you're saying, I'm okay if the city manager wants to clean house and get rid of a bunch of people who haven't done their jobs?
3: The city manager needs to know that the mayor would be completely supportive of a review of strengths and weaknesses and uh, the willingness to carry out what needs to be done to make sure that we have an effective and efficient city administration. That That's there's one employee of the city council and that's the city manager and everything on that other side uh, falls under his or her uh, power and authority. <laughs>
1: There, there is a perception, and we've heard, and you've heard, uh, that a lot of people have said, look, I, I don't disagree that the city is broken, that there are problems, but the way that problems have happened is because we've had the old guard who has been in there and hasn't fixed it. I know you haven't been there for the past eight years. You've been working as an MP, but what do you say to people who, who would say, yeah, but Bob, you've been there. We don't want the old guard back. We want a clean slate. We, we don't want people who have already been in that position.
3: Well, first of all, I'm talking about uh, the city manager's oversight on the administrative side, not the council side. The council and a somewhat newer council is coming in. Um, I think that our early discussions as, as a council, should I be the mayor, would be the support of the city manager in de- determining um, how to best operate uh, with the staff uh, that's in place or whether changes would have to be made. So I think you'd have to make that clear from the beginning. And I I believe there would be a willingness to do that because look what we have. You, can, you could have bought a lot of things for $26 million, and what are you gonna get? You're gonna get a bunch of paper that says, this guy wasn't doing a very good job.
1: There is for sure the staffing that you're talking about. There's also, there's been a lot of people commenting that they're also dissatisfied with the tenor of the council over the last yeah. number of years. Um, And one of the things that they've said is, I don't want to listen to council squabbling in it again and again and again. There's no doubt that while you were mayor, uh, there was conflict at times. You didn't always get along with council. What would be the reason that we would believe that if Bob Bertina was mayor again, that there wouldn't be more conflict and more sniping and that council would be more there'd be greater decorum around the council table.
3: Well, there was greater decorum when I was the mayor, and and you're going to snicker at that at first, but I could show you uh, newspaper articles in The Spectator, which is never very kind to me, about how people were surprised how well council was behaving. Council were snipping at me personally for reasons we don't need to get into right now, but the Manning Institute did a review of our city council and found out how well, a council and the mayor got along and i think it was something like 85 percent of the times so i was in uh, on the same side of the votes as the majority of council so there's there's two things to look at there uh, one are those sort of manufactured scandals that that you're kind of referring to but the other thing is that council was when i was in place properly chaired and that's as simple as that and you do not have in many cases proper chairing of council and committee at, uh, currently or in the past, and I've seen it, and I, I, I've seen so often where someone sitting in the chair makes snide remarks about things that are being said around council. That's not the chair's job. The chair's job is basically to keep the speaking list and make sure that everybody stays on track. And so once again, I, I'll fish them out and send them over to you. Uh, a Spectator article saying how surprisingly well the decorum is since I took over as mayor. Let's get to. Um,
1: let's get to some of the things, and again, there's so many things that I wish we could talk about. Let's get to some of the things that are directly on the platform, um, and we can, and people can find this. And I want to say, and I've said it with all the other ones, a is the website. I would encourage everyone to go and give it a read. It's important to know what we're talking about here. Votebrtina.ca. Yeah. Housing is a huge issue in this election. There's no question about that one. Um, the bottom line of your housing strategy, the bottom line is pretty much similar to Andrea's and Keenan's in that the answer is we need a lot more units. That 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 yeah. we I think everybody agrees upon. How do you get us there?
3: Well, first, most important thing is the relationship with, uh, with the province and the premier. Um, the, the availability of land, you know, land is essential to creating housing supply. So we'll get an inventory with the provincial government of what lands that could be made available, plus the inventory that we have ourselves in the city. But I think there's still a lot of provincial land that that, uh, could come into play. And then next, we need to review with the province how uh, we would conduct ourselves in terms of development charges and Uh, so many other charges that uh, the builders claim are delaying or making more expensive projects. One of the things that really uh, makes projects more expensive is time. And any time delay adds to the cost of a project. So I think most of us, to be fair, have been talking about streamlining the process and making sure that there's enough resources there. But in my case, I think that uh, 30% of all of the land that's going to be developed along the LRT corridor should be affordable housing. This should be designated inclusionary zoned uh, to that effect so that we will know that of all those buildings that may be going up, a lot of it thirty percent of it will be dedicated to affordable housing
1: and, and I mean you, you're uh, and we got a few seconds left before a break here in, in your platform we we hear a lot about geared to income or affordable housing. What about the general housing stock? Is there anything that can be done about that? Because not everybody will qualify for affordable housing or geared to income housing. People just want to be able to buy a home.
3: Yeah, you know, for a, a mayoral candidate to say, well, you know, instead of having to buy a $700,000 mortgage, you get one, uh, you, we'll make it so it's five hundred. You can't do that. But a, a number of other factors have to come into play, of course. But we do see, for instance, that uh, costs or prices are going down um, not to the point where it was, you know, in 2010 when I, when I was the mayor of the city of Hamilton. Because I remember speaking to McMaster University students. Scott, this is absolutely true in 2012. And I said, I know that a lot of you may not be able to do this, but if any of you listening to me as the mayor of the city uh, wants some advice, my advice would be to buy a house. And if you bought that house in 2012 or 13, you were way ahead of the game. So we, we have to look at every aspect of, of affordability. To determine what role we can play to keep a price in line so that our kids don't have to move to another community to get a house.
1: Bob, you have made it, I think, pretty clear that one of the things that you would like to see if you become mayor again is to see policing beefed up. Uh, There will be people who will absolutely agree with that. The question, though, is how do we pay for that? Does that automatically mean we're going to be facing higher taxes?
3: Well, the budget covers every expenditure in the city, and uh, This uh, city has been notorious for wasting money over the years, hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, there's 26 million sitting out there right now. uh, And and then when you look at the excessive use of consultants, I'd rather take uh, three policemen than three consultants in most cases or whatever the number is. So it's something that has to be broken down. I'm not going to say it's impossible. There won't be an increase. Then the chief has to figure out how to incrementally uh, uh, grow the size of the police force to the numbers that it needs to be, because we are underserved. There's no question uh, that was the case uh, back when I was the mayor and on the police board, although we did add some officers at that time. But we're still under the, the national medians of uh, of, of big Canadian cities for, for policing services. So it, it has to be done. I mean, what's, what's the alternative?
1: Well, I mean, the, 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 challenge with this is that unless we get a strong mayor system, which we don't know what's going to happen with that, you, you would have one vote. And so, you know, we could, you, you could try to get more policing, I suppose, but is that is is that a thing that as a mayoral candidate, you can put out there as a campaign promise? Because it, I, I don't know that it could be promised.
3: Well, I haven't made any promises. I have, I'm have. telling people that I'm on the side, not like the other two people, the main uh, candidates, I suppose you would say, who are uh, on the, quote, de-task or defund line uh, in their attitude toward policing. There's certainly no sense that those, uh, as leaders, would attempt to bring counsel forward in terms of growing the police service to the uh, so that they have sufficient resources. And that what sets me, one of the things that sets me apart from them is I'm determined that we're going to have a safer city because the police are going to have the resources to do, as the police act says, adequate and effective policing. That's what I stand for, and that's what I intend to uh, work with council on.
1: Let's stick with something that may lead to an increased cost and that's infrastructure. It's something you've spoken about on your platform. It's a, it's a, it's a problem in this city. 3.2 billion, I think was the last number uh the infrastructure deficit. Yeah. Who knows if that's gone up since then, where does well, Hamilton true. find the money to do the things that we need to do again, short of raising taxes significantly?
3: Well, you know, we, we did city hall over, and we used $30 million of the gas tax fund to do a 50 year old building, which was inadequate uh, to, the, to the total cost of I think 75 million or maybe a hundred million dollars to do city hall over, this is a waste of money. We needed four hundred thousand square feet. We still got that old city hall. There are so many things that we have to look at in terms of of how of our council uh, expenditures and and on many occasions we don't even know where those budget numbers are moving around to. Because the LRT office in a previous iteration was paid for out of the roads department to some extent. Because I asked the, the director of finance, you show me the line item where the LRT office got this money. Well, uh, here's 1, 1. $1.5 out of roads. So that's infrastructure. And people are playing games with that. And that's got to stop. And I intend to stop it. But will there be costs? Yeah, absolutely. There will be costs. But we also, if uh, what, what will alleviate the cost to the taxpayer is the growth in the commercial industrial side. And if we can bring more businesses, more employment to the city of Hamilton, uh, some of that, it'll, it'll never go away. But we can make up for lost ground.
1: So that's, I mean, that's an interesting idea that if we can bring more industrial and business to the community, that would shift the the responsibility or the burden off but, individual taxpayers. However, you have said in your platform that you want to increase the industrial development charge. Wouldn't that make the city less enticing for businesses to come?
3: No, it doesn't, because right now uh, they're getting a 50% reduction in uh, the development charges. It's from $24 to around 12 So if we decrease the deduction, it's still a deduction. Let's say uh, it went to $15 or $16 instead of 24 we are so competitive against the other communities around us, the Bramptons and Mississaugas and so on. There are people eager to get going. Uh, they need uh, infrastructure. They need services into uh, potential industrial lands to put the buildings up and, and get factories going and, and production facilities. So, no, uh, that statement that you made, of incre- I'm not increasing the development charge. I'm reducing the um, the bonusing the
1: the, the but that, that I mean that's that's semantics that would be increasing the cost to the developers ultimately from what yeah, it is the, right now. Our
3: development charges are listed at twenty four dollars a square foot. It will still be somewhat less than that, and that is way less, way less than competing communities. So you can sh- you can look it up. It's, Brampton doesn't even come close to us.
1: You have a couple times uh, for different topics since we've been chatting mentioned LRT. This is obviously a, I don't think that it's going to be the driving topic on the election uh, d- debate this time around. However, it's there and there's still stuff to figure out. You decided not to run for your federal seat again, largely, we heard, because you disagreed strenuously with your government's involvement in this. Well, now I you say,
3: with their, their failure to consult with me. Uh, Okay, if I said that I could not go door to door and give a rationale for the money that they promised the LRT because nobody ever told me what it was after months and months of me sending emails and having discussions and and getting useless little uh, replies like, well, I'm in favor of it or thanks. That was an email response to a whole list of concerns I have. And then the next thing I hear is that uh, the prime minister's office has approved all this money. So how do I explain that to my, you know? And if there's a good explanation, I'd like to know it.
1: So do you... And so so I said, I'm out on this one. So do you support then the LRT or do you not support the LRT?
3: I support council's decisions. Uh, I've never supported the LRT project, but it's before us. It's up to council to do, and, and that project is going to live and die in its own merit. You don't know, Scott, you can't tell me right now because I asked a whole group of media guys around me and pointed at them and asked them, how much is this going to cost or increase the residential tax? And nobody knows the answer. Now, there is an answer, and it's going up, but nobody said it. So council will have to deal with that. And I'm okay, pleased let's- to to lead that discussion and make sure that it's open and transparent and that we don't have the fiascos that are going on in Eglinton right now and in Ottawa, uh, I think we're going to get an inquiry, the Eglinton one, and already the inquiry in Ottawa is brutal on
1: how that was mismanaged. Let's take it one step further in the very brief time we have left. Uh, I'm of the opinion that when the final numbers are, are calculated, the $3.4 billion that was the most recent price tag is probably not realistic. It's going to, I believe, be up from that. Uh, the province has guaranteed $1.7 billion. The federal government has promised $1.7 billion. If it does come in higher than $3.4 billion, uh, if you are mayor, what do you do when that price tag, how how do we make this either happen or not happen? What do we do with it if this is actually higher than what we expect?
3: One of the achievements I had, Scott, was Randall Reef. We, We completed that project. We got all the funding in place. We got the liability straightened out. And then we put it out to tender. And guess what? Couldn't make the tender. It's not for me to say, oh, sorry, it's you know not 1.7, it's 1.8 or 3.9 or whatever the number is. <laughs> It'll go through the RFP process, and somebody's going to have to come back with the numbers. And council will deal with it.
1: What would be your advice to council if the number is higher and that money is not promised by the federal or provincial government?
3: Well, the fact is, council is going to have to make their own decision on... What I think will be a six, seven, eight percent residential tax increase. And that's up to council.
1: The platform, you can find it online. It is votebratina.ca. Again, uh, as I've said with uh, both of the other two leading candidates, I would strongly urge you to go and give it a read so you know what we're talking about and what all the candidates stand for. Uh, Bob Bertina, very much appreciate you taking a few minutes today to chat about yours. Thanks a lot, Scott. I appreciate it. The Scott
0: Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.